0: How do you cultivate an entrepreneurial mindset? If you're looking to launch and grow a successful startup, this episode of the Zista podcast is for you. Welcome to the Zista podcast, where we invite industry speakers and academicians to answer questions that students have within a specific subject area. Today, we're focusing on entrepreneurship and joining me is Tanul Mishra. CEO at Aftonia Labs. Tanul has worked with leading brands like Inox, Tata Communications, Reliance Communications, and Paymate. She went on to found Eatalish, a food service that brings artisan food makers across India directly into the houses of customers. After a successful entrepreneurial journey, she she felt that she wanted to contribute to the startup community and she founded Aftonia Labs. Now, Ftonia is an incubator that creates an ecosystem for fintech entrepreneurs to thrive and sponsor. They've worked with startups like Ginger Root Code Factory, Flashpay, TickMark, Digi Subida, and Phone Per Loan, just to name a few. Thank you, Tanul, for joining us on the podcast. We're delighted to have you here today.
1: Thanks for having me over.
0: Awesome. I wanted to ask you, uh, Tanul, how can budding entrepreneurs validate their ideas? You know they're looking for the right product market fit. So how do they go about doing that for their respective ventures?
1: So um, you know again, it's not a one size fits all answer, but I'm gonna try and sort of break this down. So there are some products that you can actually directly take to the market. You know, so say for example, if you're in the food business, it might be easier for you to sort of do sampling with friends, families. You know, or try and reach out to modern trade outlets so or your local kirana stores and do it. But if you are in a more complex business, say, for example, if it's a fintech or a space tech, which is compliance-heavy, regulatory-heavy, you know, in which case, I would definitely recommend uh, becoming a part of either an incubator or an accelerator. India has lots of incubators and accelerators, both government, educational, institute-led, corporate-led. What this does is gives you an access to a knowledge bank with a different set of mentors. It gives you an access to connects. So uh, Amit, you and I both know that when you're launching a product and you go to a corporate or any business and say, hey, take this solution, they're actually gonna be putting their credibility on the line and which is why they look for solutions that have already been tried and tested. So when you have uh, somebody like an incubator accelerator being a bridge, uh, you know, your solution automatically carries a lot more credibility and opens more doors. So I would definitely say become a part of incubators, accelerators. There are a lot of startup communities out there. So, you know, you've got Startup Grind, you've got Head Start. You know, leverage that ecosystem because the more people you meet, the better network you have. And network is net worth. So.
0: Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, no matter what your product or service, it's it's about people, the connections that you build. And even when you're executing on your vision, you need to work with a good, talented team. So, again, Absolutely. it comes down to to people. You know, I noticed that, you know, in the course of your conversation, you talked about incubators and accelerators. And right. for the sake of students, uh, I hope you can take maybe a minute to tell us more sure. about the difference between the two.
1: Uh, okay, so it's uh, literally like going from nursery to higher classes. Incubators come very early in the life of a startup. So, some incubators like ours actually come in very, very early, sometimes even at concept stage. So, they actually help you uh, build the product out in some cases. If you have an early product, they help you build early scale. Uh, but accelerators come in like at the second stage. So, when you've got a product and some scale, they actually come in to help you accelerate and take you to the next level of business. You know,
0: and so that's the... really the difference. Sure. In the startup ecosystem, would you say that are more incubators, or are there more accelerators?
1: I think uh, because the line is very thin, at least in India, and India is very, very nascent. uh, You know, most people tend to use the terms interchangeably. So, to give you an idea, for example, if you look at the number of startups, it's China, US, China, India, these three large countries. But when you look at the number of accelerators, US, or incubators, uh, US has 2,500 plus, China has 1,500 plus, India has 500.
0: Wow, that is
1: a yeah, disparity that is, there. Yeah, That's a huge disparity that you're talking about. So uh, I would say it's a mix, uh, you know, but a lot more incubators that you see than accelerators. And a lot of these incubators are actually based out of educational institutes and government-led incubators. There are very few private and independent incubators like us.
0: Right, right. And I'm glad, you know, I I was on your website, I was seeing some of the great work that Aftonia Lab is doing and, you know, we maybe come to that later in this discussion. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, Tandal, now as a student or as a young entrepreneur, you know, you're you're working on a pitch deck. But how do you tailor that pitch deck to different types of investors and audiences?
1: Okay, so I'm gonna sort of just take this a little, you know, a little deeper. And you know, when when you of building a deck out, right, the first thing that you need to know is, know your audience, who are you going to, right? Uh, So there is investors, the pitch for an investor is very different from a pitch uh, for a customer and will be very different from a pitch to a partner. And even within investors, you know, the pitch of somebody who's coming in at a pre-seed stage will be very different from a page for somebody who is coming in at a pre-series A stage because the value propositions that the these guys look at these different segments are different. So I think, um, you know, some points that we ask our startups to focus on, you know, is uh, one is, of course, uh, the key is to maintain a balance between a consistent messaging of what you're really selling and what you're building and the value propositions that you have across the different segments you know like a investor with stage customer as well as you know partner the other important thing is to keep it interesting because all of us see many 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 conversations you know even if you go pitch to a business partner I mean I've done sales you've done sales you know how many sales pitches land up on everybody's table right so you've got to keep it interesting to get that thing but some key points that I like to sort of emphasize on is have a one line which clearly states what you're building right? What is your solution about? The market size, right? And why is it such a big problem? You need to articulate that really clearly, you know, what is the problem that you're solving? Why does it make it so critical for whether the investor is putting in the money or why is it so critical for the customer who's taking it, right? Um, Articulate the solution and why your solution is the best solution for this and not somebody else's solution. Obviously, if it's an investor pitch, you want to talk about the revenue model because you want to tell them how you're going to make money. And the most important thing, especially when you're coming in at an early stage, is talk about the team. Because anybody, even if it's a customer or an investor, they're really backing the team at an early stage. Right. They need to know why you are the right team for this and what makes you so super special in this sector. So really, these are the four or five things that I would say, honestly, that, you know, somebody pitching in the early stages needs
0: Good points, all. I think you distilled it really well. And uh, one thing that I really liked was, you know, being able to summarize what you're doing in a single line. The minute you need to keep rambling on, it means perhaps right. you, you yourself are not very clear. Absolutely. But if you're able to distill that and say, this is what I'm trying to achieve. This is my TAM or my target addressable market. And this is how my solution meets that need. Uh, how clearly you can articulate that can really make for a winning proposition but th- thanks for that you know tamil it was really Thank really some good points uh, i wanted to ask you uh, as we move along you know on about some of the common pitfalls that you know entrepreneurs should avoid uh, when they're presenting their pitch deck right. in 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 uh, the course of your work you must have encountered a lot of entrepreneurs so can you give us some examples of, uh, you know, not specific examples, but uh, use what they did to, as an example as to what went right versus what did not go right?
1: I think, you know, there's there's one thing that I it's 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 a guilt, but I really want to state it that all of us have shortened our attention span in the last number of years. Right. And that's on us. But, you know, for an entrepreneur, it just means that they have about five or seven minutes to really get you interested in what they're doing. And sometimes what entrepreneurs do is you know really save the best for last rather than putting it out there. So, for example, uh, there was somebody who was presenting at like a pitchathon, and they put the value proposition forward, and the first thought that all of us had was, will this work? Will you have customers? And we kept throwing questions. But by the time they reached the last deck, they already had a sizable set of customers. Okay. Now what you really want to do is if you already sold the product and you have, uh, you know, a use case that people are paying for your product, that should really go out there first, right? So, like, that's first thing. The other, you know, some few things. One is really make it interesting so that you can capture the attention, get the important points out first. Uh, the other thing that I have seen is most of them are, uh, you know, know the competition at a broad level. Right. But they they really not do not have an in-depth understanding of what the competition is doing. The really good guys will know what their competition is doing because they know how they're better or they know what they need to do to make themselves better, right? Uh, the other thing is having a kick ass demo. That is so critical because what you see is what you believe, right? And I think that the one thing that I would tell all founders, you know, the biggest pitfall is storytelling right? You have to be able to tell a story that is so different from actually uh, getting somebody to just sell what you're building because each of us are investing in somebody's story and somebody's vision. And if you want me to put money into you, then you've got to be able to sort of get me vested in your journey, your emotion, your passion. So that storytelling is something that I see missing in a lot of founders, you know, and that's something that I can't stress enough on.
0: Awesome. I really like the inputs you shared, Tanul, and, you know, I'm sure you've had a lot of experience in this space. So what you're telling us and what students are going to be listening to uh, is going to be pure gold for them. So thanks for that. (laughs) Uh, I wanted to ask you uh, a few more questions, if that's okay. Uh, How do young entrepreneurs deal with competition, regulations and customer feedback? So let's say you've got a prototype. Let's say you've got something which is almost ready. And you get right. feedback, or you have to take care of regulations. Do, do do you see entrepreneurs actually adapting their strategy or their business model as they move along their journey?
1: So a lot of uh, a lot of founders actually adapt and pivot. A okay. lot of founders keep their ear to the ground. So a lot of the founders. Uh, you know, are already sort of hearing murmurs that there's a change of compliance which is going to happen because you keep you you know you know you start seeing tinges of these and articles which come out, discussions which happen. So you start preparing for that. So a lot of good founders actually are preparing during the course of this journey for any founder. And I, you know, before running Sony I was running Eatlish, and uh, you know, every time we would take this product to uh you know say a modern trade outlet everybody would have a feedback on the branding or packaging, right? And as a founder, it is not so easy to take feedback personally because you're so invested. But you've got to stay objective and and the good guys will sort of try and set it aside and look at the feedback objectively and say, hey, is there merit? Yes, no. And if there's merit, how do I leverage it? Because as a founder, you always keep company first, person second.
0: Makes sense. Makes sense. And, uh, you know, To be honest, that's not an easy question to answer because uh, depending upon the nature of the product or service, uh, I'm assuming that in some cases you can adapt and perhaps in some cases the core concept itself is so immutable that the adaptations are more, uh, you know, peripheral rather than, you know, really adapting the core, right? So there's no one right answer for this. There is
1: one right answer. And a lot of times, you know, when you're an early stage founder, everybody has an opinion. Yeah, (laughs) So you've just got to, uh, you know, stay focused and like I said, try and sift out the relevance from the non-relevance and because you don't want to miss out on the gold feedback just in case.
0: Absolutely. And being objective helps. So that point that you said about being objective, I think that's uh, one trait that entrepreneurs really need, you know. Okay. So talking about traits, I was actually coming to my next question, you know. Uh, As a founder, I may be looking for a co-founder. Uh, and right. therefore if I'm in on that journey when I'm searching for a co-founder what traits or what characteristics should I look for
1: okay that's that's a really hard one because I always say that a co-founder is going to be even more important than your spouse because you're going to end up spending more time with your co-founder than you would spend with your spouse <laughs> like really so uh, I think it's very important to have a co- so one is never look for similar skill sets right because uh, it's so so. Co-founders usually come together, you know, because you would have either worked together or your friends or something. But if you really need to look for a co-founder because you have an idea and you just want to get a partner on board, and it's always good to have a co-founder, you know, uh, because you get somebody to share the journey. Uh, have a sounding board. You need somebody, uh, who does not have the same skill sets as you, because you need a different perspective. So, for example. When I was running Eatlish, my forte has been revenue and sales and business. Uh, but Chibra's forte was product. Um, you know, So you need somebody who can sort of come in with that. So you, a lot of times you'll see business founders with tech founders. Because the other one can take care if you're a technology-heavy solution. The other and most important thing is you don't want a yes person in a co-founder.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You want somebody who has the ability to challenge a decision, uh, ask the right questions broad while you're taking a particular point. Somebody who will help you keep the interest of the company above both your interests, right? Because they really are your partners in the journey. And and when you take a decision, it impacts the employees, it impacts the business, the growth of the business. And you want somebody who can actually challenge that if it needs to be challenged. Uh, And most importantly, like I said, uh, two people who respect each other. Because only when you respect each other will you be able to take even the unpalatable feedback.
0: Makes sense. So you, know.
1: you can sort of share things with. So so I always like to give this example. If you have two co-founders, you put them in two separate rooms and ask them a question which is fundamental to the growth of the company, and the value behind that answer will should be similar.
0: Right. Yeah. They may they That's may they may kind of voice it a little differently, but at the the essence, the core yeah. of that that's answer like the is similar.
1: That answer should be similar. All
0: right. That's that's a really interesting uh, observation there. You know. um, I wanted to kind of ask you one more question, Tanul, you know, no. I'm sure in our audience, there are a lot of budding entrepreneurs. There are a lot of right. future entrepreneurs waiting to kind of uh, perhaps stumble upon a, a good business idea, but they know they want to do something on their own. Right. So I wanted to ask you, What would be your advice to them if they want to be successful? How do they cultivate an entrepreneurial mindset, you know, personally and professionally?
1: So an entrepreneurial mindset is about ownership. You own it. You own every piece of it, right? The success, the failure, uh, everything. Uh, You need to be very solution-oriented because when you start off, you know, you're not going to have the resources that a large company has. So you're always going to hit roadblocks. You're always going to have may have to take decisions between urgent, important, and critical. And this would mean you need to be sort of very solution-oriented. But the, but the three things or four things that I think we don't often speak about is you need to be flexible because you're going to have to change course a lot of times in your journey. Uh, open to feedback, uh, okay? And most importantly, you need to have a childlike curiosity, if you don't have that childlike curiosity, you know, you're going to stop innovating, you're going to stop thinking. So, and resilience, it's a tough journey. So you just need to be resilient. To see
0: it through. I've heard that from so many entrepreneurs, you know, that, <laughs> um, but I, I guess uh, the, the true aspect of that is when you're actually doing it because, it's so different working in a nine to five kind of uh, environment where you, right. you have certain objectives that you're working towards, which is, of course, similar to what you're doing as an entrepreneur. But um, in the case of an entrepreneur, it's sort of make or break. So the level of stress and the level of, uh, I would say, uh, work pressures would be far more and I can totally uh,
1: And I think it's a lot of so to that. at least beginning to build out, right? There is a lot of unpredictability, a lot of ambiguousness that you're dealing with. And you come to work every single day and it's like chipping away at a mountain, you know, till you can actually form that tunnel and get through it, right? So, it's it's an everyday process. It's not like you have see magic happening every day. So, that's why the resilience is so important.
0: Awesome. That's been, uh, been really nice hearing from you, tunnel. And uh, before say we bring this to a, to a wrap, I'd like to ask you a little bit about, you know, Aftonia and you know, in the course of a you what you've done is you've really created a fantastic environment where fintech startups can, uh, you know, shine. And I wanted to ask you what attracted you to kind of focus on fintech startups. And one more is uh, one more question here is um, from the kind of from the different startups that you've incubated, is there someone okay. which is li- perhaps closer to your heart for any reason?
1: Okay, so I'll take the second one first. I'm not okay. supposed to have favorites so i don't have any favorites but there are a couple of very interesting solutions that i am i sort of you know feel very passionately about because of different uh, you know sort of relevance and say for example one of the solutions uh, which i which i really like is the startup called as Fun Group. Um, uh, when the founder came to me she said you know we teach our kids how to save money we don't teach our kids how to grow money hmm. so the platform is aimed at actually building a platform for teenagers to uh, figure out how to earn money and that grow money. So they have a teen lancer program. So you have corporates on one side and you have teens on one side. And you've got corporates who give projects to teens and the teens, when they finish this project, so it could be like making a, you know, creative, it could be doing a presentation, they get paid for this. And the teens can then utilize this money on the platform by investing or growing. So just that whole value of money that comes into the system and preparing the next generation sort of appeals really to me. The other one is by a really young founder, and it's called his Legacy Next. Now, uh, it's, it's a very relevant solution, although it sounds a little morbid. Uh, but it focuses on the fact that, you know, a lot of us today uh, are financially, uh, you know, secure, and we put things in. But what happens to this when we die, right? The whole claim process for a family is extremely dramatic. And I was stunned to know that it, if you do not leave a bill behind it can take anything from eight years to 12 years for your family to get access to these assets.
0: Right. I remember talking to you about this and, you know, it's such an interesting uh, solution that uh, this person is working on. Yeah.
1: Right. So I think, so they've sort of worked on this and it's called Legacy Next, where you can actually, they have family. So they do two bits of it. One is when you are alive, you know, you can go ahead and put all your financial assets on this platform and tell them how you want to distribute it and what happens. They also do will creation. Uh, and in, in a lot of cases, they've you know had to actually uh, go ahead and do the claim process you know, and help get that funds to the family at least at the sure. same time. Sure. So I think these are two solutions, which I think while they're addressing two very different spectrums are just interesting from the perspective in terms of how one is so future-oriented for the next generation. And how this one is future-oriented in a completely different way. So that spectrum is extremely interesting.
0: But yes, I I'd agree with you. Both of them are very interesting solutions. Very unique also, uh, you could say.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, How did I start Astonia? So, you know, I was in a corporate job before this. Right. And then I worked for Paymate for, for uh, you know, uh, quite a bit of time. That was my first brush with FinTech where I focused, and those were the cool days of SMS and IVR. There was no 4G, 3G. So everything that we did in FinTech was using SMS and IVR for authentication purposes to get transactions through. So I worked on a couple of interesting projects in financial inclusion space, money transfer, you know, prepaid, et cetera. But then the entrepreneurial bug sort of overtook, and I set up Eatlish. When I co-founded Eatlish with Shipra, uh, we realized that we were both you know, professionals with experience and we could leverage our network but there was a lot of entrepreneurs out there who had no access to this especially you know the first-time entrepreneurs sure you know no access to network knowledge how do you go about it no space to no safe space to experiment and fail even in smaller strategies right so when i had an exit from Eatalish around 2018 the question was what do i do next Uh, And that's when I wanted to continue in the startup ecosystem and sort of figure out a way to sort of contribute and build that out. And which is where the thought of an incubator came in. And like I said earlier in the conversation, that was what got me really excited that there is a gap, but there is also need, you know, because we have so many founders coming in every day and you want to really build out an ecosystem which reduces failure which at least gives everybody a fair chance and a safe space to sort of play and grow with. Fintech, because when you combine finance and technology, the growth is huge, but so are the repercussions. And it is a complex sector. Um, You know, there are compliances, but you're also dealing with the Indian diaspora, which is so different, right? The urban population is so different from the tier tier three population, which is so different from your population in the villages. And the solution that will cut across the spectrum will be common but also different to a large extent right so this is where we felt the actual sort of incubation process will be relevant and needed and that's why the focus on FinTech
0: makes sense I I can totally relate to what you're saying and I think uh, what you're doing as an incubator is really solving um, helping a lot of people you know uh, bring their products and solutions to life and in that sense it's very noble I, I really like what what you've been doing. And uh, I also want to say thank you so much for, you know, talking us through such important elements. You know, uh, I've really enjoyed this discussion, learned so much and, you know, enjoyed interacting with you, Tanul.
1: Thanks for having me. It's always good Good to to be here.
0: Wow, that was an amazing session. Tanul really shared some good insights in terms of what does it take to succeed as an entrepreneur? How do you find the right co-founder? How do you work on that pitch deck and keep perfecting the product market fit. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, subscribe to our channel on YouTube to get more content like this. You can also follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Our handle is the Zista Podcast. Till we meet again, we'd say stay curious.